For all you that are visiting today, my name is Mark and I'm one of the pastors here. We appreciate uh, your attendance. Happy Easter. Hope you have a great day with your family. I'm going to talk today about the shortest Easter sermon ever. I didn't say I was going to preach the shortest Easter sermon ever. I'm going to talk about the shortest Easter sermon ever, and that's found in John chapter 20. We're going to have the scripture up on the screen. Uh, There's Bibles here by our exits. If you don't have a Bible or know someone that doesn't have a Bible, those are free for you to take with you. Please uh, help yourself. The Gospel of John chapter 20 is where we find the shortest Easter sermon ever. Early on the first day of the week, why do we worship on Sunday? Because Christ arose on Sunday. Before then, the uh, pious Jews would worship on the Sabbath, which was Saturday. Technically, Friday at 6 to Saturday at 6. What in the world could have, met, uh, could have caused Jewish people who were believers in Christ to change the day they were? They've been worshiping on that day for thousands of years. What in the world could have caused them to change the day they, what could cause us today to start worshiping on Tuesday instead of worshiping on Sunday? Something dramatic had to happen. And the Bible says it was on the first day of the week, Sunday, that Jesus rose from the dead. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, that's John, that's the writer of the gospel, always refers to himself as either the other disciple or the disciple that uh, Jesus loved. Don't ask me why, okay? Um, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. They weren't expecting the resurrection. As much as he talked about it, as much as he tried to tell them that this is going to happen, they did not get it. They weren't sitting around going 10, 9, 8, 7. No, they had no clue. They had no clue. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. The other disciple was John. He was younger. He outran Peter. He's rather timid. He doesn't go in the tomb uh, he bent over and looked, into the, uh, looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. That would have been John. Then Simon Peter, a little bit older, came huffing and puffing, and he's bold and brash, and Peter's the one that always sticks his foot in his mouth and says whatever he wants to say, and he's the leader of the bunch, and he doesn't stop in front of the tomb. He just goes straight in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. Linen would have been what they wrapped Jesus in the custom of the day was to wrap a deceased person in linen, okay? As well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. So somehow his body was wrapped in linen and another cloth uh, surrounded his head. The cloth that would have been the cloth that was surrounding his head was still lying in his place separate from the linen. That's amazing. That's amazing. Some people think that the disciples stole the body or to perpetuate this legend of Jesus, to perpetuate this uh, religious movement. But the, the scene as they looked inside was one of order and not one of chaos. If, if, if they had just stole the body, then they probably just would have taken him and ran. But what they see is that the, the, the cloth, linen and the cloth that he was wrapped in is laid neatly and folded there, almost as if someone got up and took their time and laid it there. Now that's an amazing thing that scripture 
records for us and totally refutes anything like um, some chaos happened when the disciples stole the body. Now Mary, that Mary Magdalene, stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. Again, has no clue about the resurrection. Jesus taught about it and they may have assumed that he was talking metaphorically and but he was talking about a physical bodily resurrection. So she sees all the evidence here of what could be a resurrection, but she has no clue. Somebody's taking the body. So even the ones around him, they didn't believe it. They weren't expecting it. They just assumed someone had taken the body. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. I've never heard a person that can explain that. I've read and read and read to try to get a biblical scholar to explain. Uh, maybe somehow it was a garden where the tomb was. Maybe somehow it was just dawn. It wasn't real light. Uh, I don't know, but that is kind of a weird thing here that none of us really know what's going on there in Scripture. He asked her, this would be Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni or Rabboni, depending on what Hebrew scholar you want to believe on how you pronounce that, which means teacher. So she recognized him as he called her name. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. The original language there is that, is, is that she was just clinging to him. So she must have hugged him, fallen at his feet, something like that. He says, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, and here's the shortest Easter sermon ever. Five words in the five words that I'm going to be focusing on this morning. Mary goes to the other disciples and she says, I've seen the Lord. And I'm calling out this morning the shortest Easter sermon ever. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The shortest Easter sermon ever. I have seen the Lord, but those words are jammed, packed with meaning. Mary says, I have seen the Lord. In that, we see some evidence of the truth of the resurrection. Um, in that day and time, it was a male-dominated culture. We can't even understand that today. I can tell you that. You can nod and you can kind of say, yeah, but we cannot even figure out how much of a male-dominated culture that it was. Listen to this. Females in both Jewish culture and in Roman culture, at that day and time, their testimony was not even admissible in a court of law, okay? That's the stat, and I've told you that those of you that go here, I've told you several times on how Jesus lifted the status of, of women and children, and children had only, only been at that rung of the ladder that was below women, but women at this time had zero status, and they couldn't even testify in a court of law. That's how little status they had. So, <laughs> it's a marvelous evidence of the resurrection that Jesus first appears to a woman. 
If somebody was writing this, let's say John, he's the author of the gospel. If he was writing this and trying to convince people that Jesus bodily raised from the dead, he would not have used a woman as proof of that. Their word was not even acceptable, not even admissible as testimony in a court of law. So, so, so John or any of the other disciples trying to somehow propagate this legend of, of, of Jesus rose from the dead, somehow trying to keep this legend going, keep this Jesus movement going, and they write their gospels, why would they put down that he first appeared to a female? It would not have aided their case unless it was true, unless it was true. All four gospels, all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all written by men, all say that females saw him first. A female that was, had no status and they come and can't even testify in a court of law. This is going to be the first eyewitness that somehow is going to give credence to this resurrection. In fact, in Luke 24, it says that Mary, Mary went and she told the other disciples and the Bible says that disciples didn't believe her. Now that's perfectly understandable. Can I say that? She was a woman. Why were they going to believe the testimony of a, especially something as unbelievably big as a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? I'm trying to tell you in that little word, I have seen the Lord. You see evidence of the resurrection of Jesus because no one would have made this story up and put a female would have been the first one that Jesus would have. We, we would today. We would today. But in that culture, no one would have ever done that. But yet in all four Gospels, you have women, the first ones that see the resurrected Jesus. We have it in Matthew uh, 28, 1 and 2. After the Sabbath at dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the stone, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and set on it. Women in the book of Matthew going to the tomb first. Uh, Gospel of Mark, uh, probably we don't know 100%. Uh, we don't think Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. It was probably told to Mark, uh, some people think, from Peter. But we don't know that for sure. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven out seven demons. Uh, Luke, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. And who told? It was Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. All four gospels are agreeing. And then in John, what we've already read, early on the first day of the week, when it's still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Um, uh, there is no plausible explanation for writers, male writers, to say that a female were the, was the first eyewitnesses. The female carried the first good news back to the disciple. There is no plausible explanation to that except that it was true. It really happened. No one would have written that down as any way to convince someone of the resurrection of Jesus if it had not been true because it would have done just the opposite. They said, Mary... Can't you get somebody better than, than 
Mary? All kinds of eyewitnesses uh, in that day and time, which is another proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you can find people all in this world today, everywhere, denying the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. They go to great lengths to be able to do that. And because they know that if Christ not, has not been risen, then this whole Christianity thing, we just might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. This whole thing comes down to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he was just a re another religious martyr, kind of like Joan of Arc or somebody. But this whole Christianity thing, the only reason we're meeting here today is because of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, which proved he was who he said he was, the living son of God. So people fight tooth and nail against this. And there's so many evidences in Scripture. There's no more, less than 16 people in in scripture that are named as eyewitnesses. I think if I was gonna make something up, if I was gonna fabricate some kind of tale about someone rising from the dead, I wouldn't name witnesses. I wouldn't give you their names. And almost every single one of them were still alive at the time of the writing of the gospels. I wouldn't name these people so you could go ask them. 16 of them are, are, are named. Bible says over 500 people saw him after his Resurrection. If I was going to make something up, why would I? I wouldn't just talk in generalities. I wouldn't talk about Rufus, Alexander, and all the other people that saw him. Also, wouldn't mention a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, who the Bible says was was part of the Jewish Sanhedrin. And the Jewish Sanhedrin was the only equivalent thing that we have is like our Supreme Court. He was a very important person in the day in first century Jerusalem, and Paul names him as one of the people around the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, friends, in this little word, I, <laughs> Mary says, I have seen the Lord. We see evidence here, indeed, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And don't doubt that everywhere in the United States and all around the world, people are battling at that, at that core teaching, because that's where all of Christianity rests. And you see proofs of it. You see evidence of it right here. Mary Magdalene, why would he have revealed himself to someone who couldn't even testify about it? Uh, it also gives me some confidence in the truth of Scripture, because if, if man had written that, you know, John wrote that, and, and, and John may not be an honest person, may not be lying, but sometimes when you write things, you don't lie, but you don't tell everything you know, especially if what you know doesn't help your case. If I'm testifying in a court of law, I, I swear to tell the whole truth, no, uh, nothing but the truth will help me, God. But unless I'm asked a question, there's no need for me to offer any information that doesn't help me in, if I'm testifying for the prosecution or the defense. I just keep my mouth shut unless I'm asked that question. John could have just kept his mouth shut about the female because that didn't help his case. He didn't have to say that, but he did because it was true and because God inspired the word and inspired him to write that. We have something as odd as a female being the first one to see Jesus. Who is this female, Mary Magdalene? Well, she was from uh, Magda, which M-A-G-A-D-A, -A, which was a resort city in, uh, in first century Jerusalem. 
She was from that town, and so she was from Magdala, so she was called a Magdalene, just like Jesus was from Nazareth, and he was called a Nazarene. That was a resort town. Um, People went there to take some days off. They even took vacations, even back then. Um, It was a town in our vernacular that we uh, we would say people go there and... um, um, what is that? What is it they say about Vegas? Um, what is, say it again. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Magdala stays in Magdala. That's what we know from. We don't know that from the Bible because the Bible doesn't mention that. We know that from history books. Secular historians will tell you that that it was something a resort town, and what happened there stayed there. It was known for some uh, uh, wild parties and promiscuous type. Behavior That was her hometown. And that's why some people speculate. Can I under, underline the word speculate? Speculate. I'm not saying this as truth, but some biblical smart, uh, scholars, way smarter than I am, uh, speculate that she was the woman that was caught in adultery that is unnamed in John chapter 8. Some people speculate that she was a sinful woman in Luke chapter 7 that, that fell at Jesus' feet and asked her to forgive her sins for there are many. And she cried on his feet and, and she dried uh, his feet with her tears. And, and people speculate. Don't know that because those people aren't named. But putting together two and two and trying to come up with something to learn a little bit more about this lady. What we do know about her, for sure, is, is, is found in Luke chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Jesus traveled from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve... The 12 disciples were with him. Also, there were some women that were in the group. They weren't the 12, okay, because you couldn't have been in the 12. You couldn't have been someone that had that much status in society. You had to be a male. So they were just some hangers on, okay? They were some support staff or something like that to the 12. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. (laughs) The word seven in the original language is where where we get the word mega. Probably means more than seven. You know how seven sometimes, the Bible uses 70 times seven to talk about an infinite amount. Who Jesus cast out an unbelievable amount of demons. So let's, let's... Suffice it to say, she was a woman that had some serious issues. We don't know what all that meant. We know that if indeed she was demonically possessed, that she probably invited some of that evil into her because most people that have that issue have dabbled with things they shouldn't be dabbling with. But we know as a lady that Jesus touched. (laughs) She had a checkered past. She was an outsider in the group. She was not one of the leaders in the group. She was, not, uh, uh, she was a, a female, and yet Jesus still used her in ministry to be able to go tell the disciples. Jesus still used her to be able to go tell all the others. Jesus still used her, no matter her past, no matter where she came from, no, no matter what her pedigree was, no matter what her family was, no matter what her background was, Jesus still used her and can use us as well. I, Mary Magdalene, and all that is in me and in my past and all that I means, female, 
checkered past, really serious emotional issues. No wonder the other disciples didn't believe her in Luke 24 because she evidently when she had a mega amount of demons, I mean, at the very least, you can say she had some serious issues, serious emotional problems. And so she comes back and tells this ridiculous story about Jesus rising from the dead. And they said, yeah, yeah, she's gone off the deep edge again. Uh, you know. <laughs> but God uses her. No matter her past, no matter what her background is, no matter what she's been through, no matter what she did two months ago, two years ago, God still uses her and can use you as well. There is nothing, nothing, nothing you could have done that could somehow exempt you from God being able to use you. If you would simply believe him and trust in his son, Jesus as Savior. There's, no, there's not a thing. I could sit up here and take several Sundays and curl your hair and tell you what I did in the first 34 years of my life before I found Jesus. And you would be astonished and probably even wouldn't come back because you wouldn't want to listen to a pastor that did what I did for 34 years. There's no one, no one, no matter your past, that cannot be used. Don't believe that lie that you are not good enough. Don't believe that lie that you've got to get some things straight and then you'll become a Christian. Don't believe that lie that you've got to stop doing this and stop doing that before you become a Christian. You come become a Christian and let Jesus deal with all of this and that and all this stuff in your life. He used Mary Magdalene. Jesus says, I haven't come for the strong. I've come for the weak. And it's, the, it's the, the weak people that know their weakness and know the struggles that they have and know how inadequate they are. It's only, it's only one type of person that's excluded, and it's the proud. Because you have to humble yourself to come to Christ. I remember when I came to Christ, and I was emotional, and tears in my eyes. And those tears weren't in my eyes because I was so sorry for all the stuff that I'd done for the first 34 years of my life. Those tears were in my eyes because of the embarrassment or uh, maybe that's not the right word. Probably is the right word though. The humility that it took for me to step out that aisle and walk to the front and admit that I needed a savior and admit that I couldn't do it on my own. That took a good bit of humility for me. Jesus didn't come for the strong Jesus didn't come for the self-assured. Jesus didn't come for those that are strong in themselves and have a lot of confidence in what they can do. Jesus came for the people that are weak and know they need Jesus. Your pride keeps you from Jesus. And it's probably the only thing that can keep you from Jesus. I have seen the Lord. This is the shortest Easter sermon that's ever been preached. You know, the people that see the Lord... Now, she saw him in a physical sense. I think you all know that we would have to see him with eyes of faith. She saw him in a physical sense. But those who see the Lord have a desire to see him. They're seekers. They, they, they truly want to. And that's exactly what Mary was. Because you see in, in, in that story, the, the, the disciples, they, they run on back. Put John 20 back up there, 11 through 15, Karen. The disciples have run back, but Mary hangs out. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. 
And that's when she saw the angels, one seated at the foot, one seated at the head. Next scripture. They ask her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken him away. I want to see him. I don't know where they put him. Next slide. At this, she turned away and saw Jesus standing there, but didn't realize it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Jesus said to her, who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was a gardener, Mary said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him so I can go get him. She, she had a desire to see Jesus. It's just, you know what it says in a scripture I didn't include to you? The disciples, when they looked in the tomb, John and Peter, it says they went back to the house. She hung out. She wanted to see Jesus. She had a desire inside of her to see Jesus. People that see Jesus, whether it's in a physical way or whether in eyes of faith that we would have to today, they have to have a desire to do that. The Bible says, seek and you will find. And I'm not talking about a desire that I put Jesus right on the same shelf with all the other desires that I have in my life. Every now and then I have somebody come up to me and says, well, I can't. I, I, just, I just can't get in tune with Jesus and I just can't feel him anymore and I don't know that he's there anymore and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and almost every single time, if I know about what's going on in their life, something has crowded Jesus out. Something is, it may not be bad things. It may be just all the stuff that we have to take care of in life. But somewhere on the line of taking all the stuff that we have to take care of in life, we have somehow taking Jesus off of his rightful place. And then we wonder why we can't sense him anymore. We wonder why we can't see him with eyes of faith anymore. We wonder why we can't touch him anymore and sense his presence. I've had people in front of me that talk about that, that, that are in the middle of gross sin and they wonder why they can't see Jesus anymore. That, that, that are living contrary to anything that God says about the way that a Christian person leads. And they wonder why they can't see Jesus in a, in a spiritual way anymore. We tell you, friends, you can see Jesus if you want to. You can see Jesus if you have a desire to. Seek and you will find. What's, what's, what's the old saying that we have in our culture that talks about Seek and you will find and you get what you really want in life. Uh, it talks about be careful what you want because you just might get it. You hear Hollywood people talk about sometimes uh, that, that they, they just despise all their fame and they have to go out with uh, disguises on, fake beards and all this kind of stuff. And, and they just despise all that fame. Well, be careful what you want because you just might get it. We as human beings have the ability many times to get what we want if we really go after it. Good things, bad things. If we really set our mind to it, be careful what you want. Be careful what you want. Because you just might get it. And it's kind of a, a little secular way to say what Jesus said. Seek and you will find Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You remember him in Luke 19? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for Jesus he wanted to see. The Bible says he was a chief tax collector, which meant that he was an outcast of society. And, 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 and the Bible shows this outcast of society climbing up a sycamore tree, a little, 
a chief tax collector is an important person, okay? Important people don't climb trees, okay? They just don't, okay? But he climbed up this tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And he was sore and he couldn't see for the crowd. And Jesus comes walking by with all his followers and he sees Zacchaeus up this tree. And the scripture records somewhere in Luke 19, scripture records Jesus saying, I must go to your house today. It's like he saw the desire in Zacchaeus. He saw his heart. He saw the fact that Zacchaeus had a heart and a desire to be able to seek him. And that whole story about Zacchaeus ends with Jesus saying, uh, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. But there's got to be some kind of desire for that in our hearts and spirit. It was for Mary. She hung around the tomb. What are you seeking? Really? Careful what you want. Because you just might get it. Be careful what you seek. Jeremiah chapter 29, 13, the Old Testament says, says the same thing. When you seek me, speak, God speaking when you seek me. And fi, fi, you will seek me and find me when you seek with me with all your heart. <laughs> well, the story ends in John chapter 20. And Jesus calls out her name, Mary, in some way. She recognizes him, and I don't really know how to explain that to you and tell that, but somehow she now recognizes him, which is proof. When you seek him, you'll find him. Or maybe the better terminology is because it's all of grace, he finds us. Are you seeking? There's all kinds of stories of people in foreign countries, you know, that have never heard the name of Jesus preached, but they understand there's got to be some God. They look up into the, the, the sun and the moon and the skies and the stars, and there's got to be something to this. It's just to get hung up there. There's got to be some designer to all of this. In fact, that's what Romans 1 says. You know what Romans 1 tells me? Romans 1 tells me that I am without excuse because I look at nature, and because I look at nature, I ought to know there's a God. That's what Romans 1 tells me. So there's people in all kinds of places that may have never heard the name of Jesus that somehow look up and they know there's got to be something beyond just this temporal world. And the stories are tremendous that how somehow when people were seeking and had a desire, somehow by the grace of God, some Christian missionary came to them and told them about this person, Jesus. Mary was seeking, Mary desire. Because Mary had that desire, God called out to her and said, Mary. And she runs off and becomes the first evangelist, the first missionary, the first preacher of the shortest Easter sermon ever. She heard him call her name. Have you heard, have you heard Jesus call your name? I didn't ask you if you go to church. I didn't ask you if you're a good little boy or girl. Have you heard Jesus call your name? I, I, I don't know where you are in life and don't know how many times you've heard the gospel being told, but you've heard the gospel this morning. And you, you may not even know what it's like, but you, you sense something that's Jesus calling your name. 
That's Jesus calling your name. And it may be new and weird to you and you don't know anything about it. I'd love to talk to you this week. The week after Easter, usually I have lots of appointments with people that say, hey, I need to talk to you about this Christian thing. And, and, and I, I love to have those conversations. I don't, I don't have all the answers, but we'll try to figure it out together. And maybe, maybe this is all new to you. Maybe this is all new to you. Love to talk with you about it. I'm the nicest guy in the world, y'all. I am. I'm not going to bite your head off or ridicule you. I'm just a nice guy. I was right where you were. I'm 59. What was that? That means about 25 years ago, I was right where you were. Love to talk to you about it. Do you hear him calling your name? Here's the problem with Easter Sunday, and I'll, I'll finish with this. Many people hear him calling, his, calling their name. But you... Um, you leave and that's good service. You're glad you came. But you go out to dinner and it's, it's kind of hard to hear him call your name at um, Bob Evans and all the noise and, or Applebee's or wherever you go. And then, and then you get together with the whole family and it's loud and TV's on and in-laws arguing with each other and mother-in-law's there and, It just kind of drifts away. And what seems so real right here, by tonight and tomorrow, it just slips away. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. He's the most real person in all of history. And he was risen for forgiveness of your sins. And so you can have new life in Christ answer his call when he calls your name. Father, I've tried to stumble through an age-old story. I've told this for 23 years now and, and, and there's something new in it every time I tell it and I thank you for what you do in me just in the preparation of all this. Father, I pray for those here now that are, first of all, that are Christians and they've heard the name. They've responded. I pray that they will continue to seek and to have a desire to see him till the day they die. I, I pray for those here that have not crossed that line of faith and they know it. They know it. And Father, I pray that you would help them. Even right now, in some childlike way, they could reach out and respond to you. Father, tell them that there's no magic words. There's no little formula they got to say. They just somehow respond to your gracious invitation as you call their name. There may be some people here, Father, that need to come in and talk to me this week and ask me some spiritual questions. If that's the case, give me grace. Give me wisdom that I don't have in my own right to, to try to guide them in the right direction. God, I just pray you take this message and you would use it. Use it for all of us so that every single one of us in here can one day can be able to by faith say we have seen the Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen.